What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is Luke Schoomaker, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Yes, how are we doing, Roster Watch Nation? I am back. I am Cody Carpenter. You can find me on Twitter at Carpenter NFL. And these are my top 10 thoughts coming out of the vaunted week nine of the NFL season. We went into the weekend looking at this beautiful, beautiful, majestic Saturday of college football. And it gave us not very many upsets, but a couple of tight, close games. And then on Sunday, the big slate, of course, opening up with Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins in Germany in the morning through a little bit of a miserable period uh, in the first quarter with some quarterbacks in that early slate that we'll talk about here in a minute. Then in the afternoon with that beautiful giant, sorry, beautiful Eagles-Cowboys game that had a chance to go haywire at the end, if not for CeeDee Lamb being tackled at three-yard line, and then we had the Bills and Bengals on Sunday Night Football. We're going to try and get this show in in orderly time so that you can get out and you can watch Monday Night Football because we have a great matchup. The two borderline bubble wildcard teams, the Jets and the Chargers, are playing tonight. <clears throat> Chargers traveling out to the Meadowlands on Monday Night Football. So we get to see the Jets. I also just uh, saw Aaron Rodgers pregame, of course, on the field again, just casually tossing the football 60 yards. 60 yards is the one that just floated. I just tweeted it out. I just took the caption that uh, I think one of the, the Jets reporters put out there. But 60 yards off of a backdrop, pretty impressive. Ian's Cats, what's going on, brother? You talking about the, the, the Baltimore Ravens already? That's actually a, well, that's a good way to start it right there. So Ian's Cat says, I don't think Baltimore hasn't come close to peaking yet. They are still going through growing pains. That is my number 10 thought. And normally when you put the show title in the – you know, you, whatever you make the show title, it's usually not about something you're going to talk about right away. It's about something that's going to come at the end. I don't. I, I broke the rules. I broke the rules of TV. I went against it. My top ten thoughts, number ten, is going to come in. It's going to be: Did Baltimore peak too early? And you can look back the last five years of the Baltimore Ravens: seven and two. They finished fourteen and two. Pretty good, right? They're seven and two right now. Six and two. They finished eleven and five. Seven and three, they finished eight and nine. Seven and three, they finished ten and seven. Now, of course, you have injuries coming in there. No, man, Ian's cats. No, you were perfect, dog. It was me. I'm. I was making a joke out of me labeling the story. My top ten thought, number ten thought. Normally, when when you make a thought or you make a a, a, a show title, it's about something you're talking about later on. But I literally did that myself. I botched it myself. That's not on you. I appreciate you being here, brother. Thank you. So at home, the Baltimore Ravens, again, in their 
three wins. They've outscored their opponents 90 to 18. Of course, two of those being the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks the last two of the last three weeks. That loss against the Colts, 19 to 22, brings it to 109 to 40 at home. The Ravens have been dominant at home, some would say. And this weekend, after the win against Seattle, 37 to 3, what was looked at as potentially the best game in the early slate left me with questions because, again, I thought it was going to be a good game. It was not. It was 37-3 dusting. Lamar gets hurt late. They score a couple touchdowns late, um, and it ends up 37-13. They come out and they say, that was our most complete game of the season so far. After they beat Detroit 38-6, they beat the Cardinals last week. They're on a four-game win streak. Week nine, they have three straight home games. Okay, perfect. So they're hot at home. They should continue to roll. Cleveland this week, Deshaun Watson coming in. And then Thursday night football against the Bengals. Good luck. Cincinnati's pretty hot as well. They're peaking right now. Then they have Sunday night football against the Chargers, then a bye week, and then Rams at home. And then you finish at Jacksonville, at San Francisco, home against Miami, home against Pittsburgh. That's not exactly an easy stretch to finish the season out, and I'm worried that maybe potentially Baltimore peaked early again. And this, it's not, I'm not going to say this happens every year, but you can look at the last couple of years, start out seven wins, three losses, seven wins, three losses, six wins, two, seven, two. They start out pretty solid every year. It all depends on how you finish and the health of your quarterback. Right now, Lamar Jackson is in the MVP conversation, as he should be. It should be him, Burrow, Mahomes. Like that, That's a conversation. I understand that 100%. Lamar's playing great. But we also saw that back in 2019, and that was the last time that they finished a season strong. Started 7-2, and two, finished 14-2. and two. Can they finish out 7-0, and 6-1, and 5-2? Can they, can they finish out as strong as they've started is my question. Their defense is playing up the par. They found a Keaton Mitchell, uh, the rookie 4.2 40-yard dash having running back. Can they put that genie back in the bottle, or do they play him and utilize him in a role that they wish Justice Hill was playing in? We'll wait and see. I'm just worried that maybe Baltimore peaked a little too early. Again, we've seen this trajectory with Harbaugh as the coach and Lamar as the quarterback of them getting hot early and then falling off late, but I think the defense may, 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 may be up to the task this year. Number nine of the top ten thoughts this week, the middle of the NFL is starting to separate itself in the standings. We've been waiting for this for a couple weeks now, kind of expected it a couple weeks ago, and it hasn't really happened. If you look on the NFC side, all the NFC games are, are under wraps right now. The bottom, Arizona, Carolina, Chicago, the Giants, Daniel Jones tears his ACL. The Rams, Stafford's already hurt. Through nine games, they're three and six. The Green Bay Packers just beat the Rams. They're three and five. Nobody thinks any of those teams are good. So that's the bottom six of the NFC. Tampa, three and five. Good game. Lost to Houston. Think I would potentially I would say Tampa's probably out of it at that point. Three and five. They don't exactly have the easiest schedule on the way out. I think Tampa, you can write off. So that leaves you Atlanta and Washington in the NFC that's not in the playoffs right now. Do you trust Washington? We'll talk about Sam Howell if you want to. He's not really getting the due justice that I think he should be. I was doing some statistical research on C.J. Stroud, we'll talk about in a minute, and I found that the most passing yards in your first 10 career games, not only is Stroud in striking distance of the top five of this list, he's had 2,270 passing yards through eight games this year, 
Top of this list is Mahomes, 3,185. Justin Herbert, 3,015. Luck, 2,900. Cam Newton, 2,800. Joe Burrow, 2,688. And Sam Howell, who just played his 10th career game this weekend, tied Dak Prescott for sixth on this list with 2,640 yards. Pretty impressive for a quarterback that Ron Rivera didn't even know existed at one point. Most passing yards in a single game within the first 10 career starts. C.J. Stroud just threw for 470, set the all-time rookie record this week. But I was doing some research again on C.J. Stroud. He hit this number. He hit 380 passing yards twice. Cam Newton hit that number twice in his first 10 starts. Deshaun Watson hit that number twice in his first 10 starts. Kirk Cousins hit that number twice in his first 10 starts. And Sam Howell hit that number twice in his first 10 starts. Washington gets a win against New England despite trading Montez Sweat, Chase Young, off last week they're four and five tied with atlanta at four and five just below minnesota dallas seattle and the nfc side on the afc side new england you can write off denver's three and five they had a bye this week they started to turn the corner but i think you can write them off as far as the playoffs go tennessee will levis derrick henry we love the story i love levis but i do not think that tennessee really has their name in the hat for the playoffs this year the chargers and jets play tonight the jets are four and three the jets win tonight, and they put themselves in the sixth seed, jumping ahead of Cincinnati and Cleveland. I think that's the separation you're looking for. Does the separation really happen tonight, or does the Chargers kind of make the – do the Chargers kind of charge her? Do they, do they win, get the 4-4, four and four, sitting here 13th in the AFC, make it a conversation? I don't think anybody's really scared of the Raiders. I know the story's great. I love the Raiders. Antonio Pierce is the thumbnail in this picture. I'm going to talk about him in a little bit. The Colts, 4-5, and five, nobody's really afraid of them. I think the middle of the NFL is starting to really rip apart. Like I talked about, the NFC has really separated. The AFC, we're kind of waiting on the Jets, Chargers. Are the Raiders going to make this run? I don't think so. Not with O'Connell at quarterback. I just don't think it's – he would really have to take a a big step forward. Again, they just walked the Giants. A lot of energy in that building. But it's different when you're talking about the long run, the back end of the NFL stretch. So – Number nine takeaway is the middle is starting to separate. And surprises was the Minnesota Vikings are on the north side of that. The Washington Commanders seem to be on the north side of that, making a conversation and a run toward the playoffs. Number eight, Alvin Kamara's expectations need to be limited rest of season. And this isn't because of Alvin Kamara. This is because of the New Orleans Saints. Now, we just talked about the bottom of the NFC separating itself well, the New Orleans Saints are no longer on the bottom. They're 5-4. and four. They're leading the NFC South because the Atlanta Falcons lost. The Atlanta Falcons are 4-5. and five. Tampa's 3-5. and five. Carolina's 1-7. and seven. The Saints are now in the front seat of the NFC South, and it's not really thanks to Elvin Kamara. When you look at his usage, when you look at Jamal Williams' usage, when you look at Taysom Hill's usage, and you compare all of those things to what the Saints are doing from a winning perspective, some things aren't aligning that well for me. They get a win against the Bears this week by 7. They beat the Colts last week by 11. They lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars by 7. That game was not as close as it was perceived as a Thursday night football game where the Jaguars got up early and they allowed the Saints to come back a little bit. But when I pull up Alvin Kamara's usage trends, and again, we talked about him week after week of him being a unicorn and his running back finishes this year, nine, seven, nine, three, four. And then this week, 
dropped down to 18. Jamal Williams came back on that Thursday night football game and had a 22% snap share week eight, 23% snap share week nine, 42% snap share. Elvin Kamara since week six, the week before Jamal came back, he had a 79% snap share. That was his biggest week. And that was their loss, their seven-point loss to the Houston Texans. The next week, 72% against Jacksonville, the game that Jamal came back in, so they didn't use Jamal the most. They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars by seven. Then the next week, which was last week against the Colts, he dropped from 72% to 58%. So a two-week span, he dropped 21% snap share. Utilization was a little bit different. He wasn't getting targeted quite as much. They win, and Taysom Hill is getting a lot of run, a lot of usage in this backfield. Then this week, Elvin Kamara drops to 50%. So over the course of the last three weeks, he dropped from 79% to 50%. And Jamal Williams jumped from 22 to 42. And Taysom Hill, of course, just doing what Taysom Hill does, being a menace to all fantasy output, but also being a difference maker for the New Orleans Saints in the winning column which is the point of the NFL franchises, is winning. So there's a statement that I talked about a couple weeks ago with, with Kamara being a unicorn, and I was talking to Matty Keown about this at the game against Jacksonville, and it was so apparent that Kamara was almost like the Kelsey of that offense where he could just do whatever he wanted, he could run routes wherever he wanted to, and Carr would just get the ball to him because he was the most talented player on the field. Then Shahid had his big game. Juwan Johnson scored a touchdown last week. Jamal Williams got healthy. Taysom Hill started to get utilization. Michael Thomas is still there. It's not all dependent on Elvin Kamara anymore. And they're finding well, they're finding out how to win. Again, they beat New England 34-0. They've won three of the last five games. They lost to C.J. Stroud in Houston by seven, and they lost to Jacksonville in primetime. Jacksonville's arguably the hottest team in football outside of Cincinnati and maybe Minnesota and Baltimore. Like, that's they're in that conversation, though. Jacksonville's a really good football team. But New Orleans is playing good, and it's not thanks to Elvin Kamara. So we kind of have to temper our expectations, at least for the foreseeable future. They get the Minnesota Vikings this week in Minnesota, then they have a bye, and then they're in Atlanta. Two big games for the NFC playoffs. The Falcons, of course, are a game behind the Saints right now. They play them twice down the stretch. They play the Falcons week 12 and 18. They play the Vikings week 10. The Vikings have the same record, 5-4. and four. Then they have a bye, like I said. After those two games, they have three home games. Detroit, Carolina, New York. Pretty good matchups for the running backs, but I do think temper expectations for Elvin Kamara going forward. Number seven, top 10 thought of the week, has to do with a specific position And we talked about C.J. Stroud a minute ago, and I want to talk about C.J. Stroud a little bit more. I want to play a little game called uh, the franchise quarterback game. And the answers are pretty easy. Yup and nope. So if you're listening on YouTube, please click that like button. Click subscribe, first of all. But secondly, when I say this player's name, I want you to tell me, is this the franchise quarterback for his respective team? We'll start out in Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett. Is Kenny Pickett the franchise quarterback for the for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers? My answer is nope. Kenny Pickett is not the franchise quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. In 21 games, 
He's 12 and 8 with a 62% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, 13 picks. I don't trust Kenny Pickett. I don't believe Pittsburgh trusts Kenny Pickett. I believe if you put a multitude of quarterbacks in this Pittsburgh offense, this Pittsburgh team would you would be monumentally better than they are because of the strength of their defense, which is what's holding them together. In Kenny Pickett's tenure, which I said is 21 games, the Steelers have scored more than 25 points three times. They scored 26 and 28 against Cleveland, both wins, and they scored 30 just once in a loss to Cincinnati. You already know how the season started with pick sixes, fumble sixes from Watt, Highsmith. You know the dynamism of this defense and their, their, how much they scored last year. I'm afraid Pickett's just going to get left in here because Mike Tomlin drafted him with the first pick. He's a Pittsburgh boy. He's just barely competent enough. My answer is no, he's not the franchise quarterback. And for that, I don't think it's going to allow the Steelers to actually compete for a Super Bowl or let alone an AFC championship with the strength of the AFC right now, which is a shame having TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith on the defense together. Sam Howell with the Washington Commanders. He's 5-5 five and five now in his career. The question is, is he the franchise quarterback? Again, they're sitting on the fringe of the playoffs at 4-5. and five. I talked about the accolades for Sam Howell just a minute ago. How he's tied with Dak Prescott for the sixth most passing yards through the first 10 games of your career. He's thrown for 380-plus passing yards twice, which only Stroud, Watson, Cam Newton, Kirk Cousins have done. And he's winning them football games, which is the most important thing of them all. They beat the Falcons, who are in playoff contention. They beat the easy teams. They beat the easy teams, Arizona, Denver, New England, the easy teams you're supposed to beat. He went toe-to-toe with Philadelphia, not once, but twice this year. Lost to a Giants team 7-14. to that was a, that was a putrid game. But I trust Sam Howell, and I think this team should trust Sam Howell going forward. I know they're trading away a bunch of parts. I don't think they're going to have a pick early enough to really go after quarterback, and I'm hopefully getting those picks for sweat, et cetera, allows them to do some more. This team's in in – Mid purgatory, eight and eight last year, seven and ten the year before, seven and nine, three and third, like just mid, not good. And I think Sam Howell's a guy that can take them to the next level. The next one, Mac Jones. Is he the New England Patriots franchise quarterback? No. 18 and 22 in his career. I think New England has an outside shot at getting the first overall pick, which is cockamamie to even think about. Kyler Murray is supposedly activated to play this week per Jonathan Gannon. I think Gannon's trying to instill a winning culture. They won three games last year. I think he's trying to instill a culture of a potential of them winning a couple games down the stretch is wild. If they win two games, that puts them at a potential 3-14 and 14 and really out of the number one conversation. Chicago plays Carolina on Thursday night. Chicago owns both of those picks, obviously. 
The Carolina pick is at one and seven. The Bears pick is at two and seven. Let's say Chicago wins that game. The Carolina pick drops to one and eight. If the Cardinals win, that puts them at two and eight. That Carolina pick is now number one, and the Cardinals now drop into conversation with the Giants and the Patriots. There's an outside shot. Again, New England plays the Giants in a couple weeks that New England could get themselves up to the top of the draft. If not one, number two. Which means they're taking Drake May or Caleb Williams. Wild. Fourth and final. Well, actually, we got two more. CJ Stroud. Hammer. Done. Franchise quarterback. All the numbers that we thought Deshaun Watson brought to the table, which he brought a ton to the table whilst he was in Houston. CJ Stroud's clipping them all. Most passing yards in the first 10 games. Most prolific. Most touchdowns without a pick. Most yards without a pick. Youngest quarterback to throw for 400 yards in the game. Matthew Stafford, 21 years, 288 days. C.J. Stroud, 22 years, 33 days. Deshaun Watson, 22 years, 45 days. He did it 12 days earlier. Stupid stats. Easy stats. He's, he's doing it. He's making Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz relevant. Number five, Jordan Love. Get out of here. Done. Bye. There's no way in hell they go another year with Jordan Love. The experiment, I I thought there was a potential there. I understand that the, the receivers are not exactly all numero unos, but I thought the Jordan Love sitting and sitting and sitting, the opportunity would grow and he would make something of himself. I was wrong. I think a lot of people were wrong on the potential of Jordan Love. Kenny Pickett, Mac Jones, Jordan Love are not franchise quarterbacks. Sam Howell, C.J. Stroud are franchise quarterbacks. Congratulations to Washington and Houston. Number six, Philadelphia and Cincinnati feel like the only two teams that can win different types of football games any given night. They get down, they can come back. They get up, they can close it. They get down, they got the defense that can limit you. They get up, they got the defense that can sack and get after you. They can cause turnovers. They can do everything on both sides of the football. And they both have dudes at quarterback. They both have dudes at receiver. Two dudes at that with solid, solid running games and improved offensive lines in Cincinnati. Of course, the offensive line in Philadelphia is great. Philly and Cincinnati feel like the most complete football teams. San Fran, of course, is just like there, but that quarterback is just not quite on the same level as those two teams. For that reason, that's why I say Philly and Cincinnati, I think, are on a different tier, period. Like they are winners. The definition, so this was a quote from back in the day that one of my coaches told me, and he used to say, no matter who you are, how you were brought up matters and your mentality and how you're coached because winners always find a way to win and losers always find a way to lose. And I think that Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow are just winners, period. And they're two guys that will just continue to find ways to win, which is what you always saw out of the Bradys and the, the Mannings, always. Winners find a way to win. Losers find a way to lose. That's why you have... 
poverty franchises because they don't know how to win. But I think Philadelphia and Cincinnati are the two most complete football teams right now, and they can win in multiple ways if they get down or up, et cetera, et cetera. Looks like we got some people in the chat. Sean Roberts, appreciate you hopping on here. Maybe Bateman can get going, but he may be dust. I think he's mid, dude. I don't, I don't think there's much there. He's all right. I wouldn't really spend much capital on him in fantasy for sure. Chiefs are still going through growing pains offensively. Hopefully the bye week will help, says Johnson Robinson Jr. I agree. They definitely do not have the talent that, that Patty Mack is used to. They talked about that after the game, asking him questions. Rashi Rice feels like he's there. I actually got to talk about him here in one of these top 10 thoughts here in a minute, so I'll keep that one for there. But I think your point stands. Ian's Cats, Lamar stays healthy, then they will be good. Of course, 100. That's what the, that's what it always is, right? Always. Johnson Robinson says no to Kenny Pickett. Uh, Sean Roberts says, Howell is the real deal, and I like him a lot. Adam T says, how do you think I should do – hey, do you think I should do Gibbs for Bijan? In Dynasty, I want Bijan. In Seasonal – in Seasonal, rest of season, I want Gibbs. Sean Roberts, I still believe in fields, but it is not going good. I'd agree. We'll see what happens if he plays on Thursday night against the Panthers. Number five, Antonio Pierce is the long-term answer for the Las Vegas Raiders, I think. They had the presser last week when Pierce took over. They had the news break of Jay Glazer this weekend saying that they had kind of a grievance hearing essentially in the locker room last week, and McDaniels was taking the brunt of a lot of unhappiness from the team. And at the end of it, he asked Pierce to go up talk to the team, and he did. And Pierce basically said, you know, we need to instill a culture, which is wild because, you know, you thought there would have been a solid culture there already, the Patriot way of what McDaniels, I'm sure, was trying to put in. And he kind of referenced the Giants' win over the Patriots from back in 07, how the Giants' mentality was, you know, despite being 10-7, and every time we get on the football field, nobody can touch us. And McDaniels didn't like that. And some media came out and said, you know, that's the reason he got fired. I don't think that's the reason he got fired. I think that that is just the final straw. And Mark Davis was like, dude, this guy doesn't know the definition of fucking culture. And then that's when the, the, the shift was made. And now all you see is the, the team enjoying themselves. I know it was an easy layup win against the Giants last week, but they enjoyed themselves. They got the win. They dominated. They ran the football a shit ton. The utilization seemed apropos like they seemed like they were they were they were doing what they wanted to do we'll see how that carries on this week but antonio pierce everything they the thing is <clears throat> when you look at what the raiders have done at the court at the coach position since they traded for john gruden it's been bad it's been terrible and they've been trying different angles right they traded for john gruden they had bill callahan Won the AFC Championship in 2002. They brought in Norv Turner. They got Lane Kiffin, Art Shell, Tom Cable, offensive line coaches. Hugh Jackson was supposed to be a genius. Dennis Allen was there for a stretch. Tony Sperano, another offensive line guy. Jack Del Rio, a linebacker. John Gruden comes back for another stint, of course. I think that would have worked out probably in the long run, but he had his email scandal. Rick Basaccia, you could have argued they could have just let him 
have that job, but that wasn't pretty enough for the Raiders. So they go out and get Josh McDaniels, the, the wonder boy, the wannabe wonder boy. He fails. I think it's time. I think it's time that Mark Davis, I think he's going to do the thing where I think he just takes a step back and he says, I'm going to go with the culture. And I think he's going to trust Max Crosby, who I think loves Antonio Pierce. I think he's going to trust Antonio Pierce, the former player. I think he's going to trust the swag. I think he's going to trust that Pierce is going to build a real Raiders culture and bring back, you know, the the hard-hitting, swearing, punching, mouth punch, whatever you want to call it. The Raiders. The Raiders. It was weird. Marshawn Lynch also had a little bit of a video that came out last week of him saying we're trying to bring the Raiders back, et cetera, et cetera. Like, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he did something. I don't know if he'd coach or not, but something to do with the Raiders. Because I, I just think that this is going to be the angle here. I think Pierce is going to get an opportunity. And this team, not great, four and five. They're going to make some noise. But I think Pierce is going to earn this job. That's takeaway number five. Takeaway number four is the NFL needs quarterbacks. And we kind of talked about quarterbacks a minute ago with who's the franchise guys and who's not. But my point in being the NFL needs quarterbacks is just seeing how terrible the quarterback play was this weekend, especially in that 1 p.m. slate of games when you had literally Clayton Toon playing quarterback. Brett Rippon was playing quarterback for the Rams. Clayton Toon against Deshaun Watson combined for zero points in the first quarter. Brett Rip and Jordan Love combined for zero points in the first quarter. Mac Jones, Sam Howell combined for three. Taylor Heineke's taking snaps because Desmond Ritter is cheeks. Joshua Dobbs came in as a third stringer after Clayton Toon started that game, played pretty decent. Tyson Bajan's playing. You know, like the, the, the mass fan base hates Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield, and they're playing. They're in the two leading scoring games. New Orleans, Chicago scored 14 points in the first quarter. Tampa Bay, Houston scored 17 with Mayfield and Stroud. Like they played competent this weekend. But they need quarterbacks. The depth of the quarterback position in the NFL is putrid. And that's what's making football. This is one of the lowest scoring years of all time for a reason. Quarterbacks and the and, and the strength of the defensive lines in football. We talked about that back in week one. Thankfully, this draft class has potential. Right now, we can jump into that for a quick second. Caleb Williams, Drake May, projected to both be the top three picks. Marvin Harrison in there, wide receiver. Caleb Williams, Drake May, top five picks. J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, whoever you ask right now, Bo Nix has the size, the intangibles. He's coming from Oregon. Of course, he looks like Justin Herbert. He's going to be a projected quarterback, projection quarterback. If he continues on this current pace right now, where he's probably going to make the college football playoff and make a run, Bo's only going to continue to build up his value, his stock. He's been around for a minute since he was at Auburn. J.J. McCarthy, I think, is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in all of football right now. I think those four guys you're looking at as first-round guys. I think you got Caleb Williams, Drake May, top five. McCarthy's looking like a top 20, 25 guy right now. He's got some... He's got some work to do. He's got Ohio State coming. He's got Penn State this week. Bo Nix, though, the upset at the arm, pure arm talent. Size, frame, the offense he's in. And then you have guys like Michael Penix and Jaden Daniels who are in the Heisman conversation, have the legs, have the arm, that are potential potential late firsts, into the second, mid-second, in that whole area. 
Shadur Sanders also would be in that conversation. I think he goes back to school. But anyways, that's six guys, not counting Sanders. And then Dane Brugler dropped his top 50 this last week, and it had Carson Beck in the top 50. So that would be a seventh quarterback. Potentially a seventh quarterback in the first 70 picks, I would say. If you start the early third there, early third, so that's one, two, early third, seven quarterbacks. It's pretty good, and it's a pretty good crop to help the NFL grow and build. Number three, Rashi Rice is going to be very good in Kansas City. We heard last year at the end of the year how it was a barrage. It was a fire hose of, of, of plays to help Sky Moore get going. And it took him all year to get going. This last week we saw him get a little bit. Rashi Rice has just been a consist, consistent, consistent, him like just a thing all year. He hasn't done anything. He's just been fine all year. We haven't really seen a, a, a big pop or a big game out of Rashi Rice. It's just consistency across the board. He's going to be very good, but he's not a number one. He's a pure number two, and I think that's where he's going to continue to be in this offense. It's been nine weeks, and they haven't been able to push this guy up. Sky Moore hasn't taken that step up. They bring in McCole Harden a couple weeks ago. Should have picked this offense up. Maybe potentially been been more utilized. Marquez Valdez Scantling stinks. Justin Watson getting five targets. This next free agent class, Kadarius Tony didn't even mention him. He made a play. He made what he had one catch, one target, one catch this week. Broke a tackle. Looked like a maniac getting up. Oh, oh, oh like he did something big. Fucking caught one football. This year's free agent class, Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, T. Higgins, Kelvin Ridley. I would put in ink one of those names in Kansas City. I don't think they're going to go back to the wide receiver well early in the draft. I think they're going to go after a veteran. They're tired of teaching these assholes how to run routes, the playbook, etc. I think Evans, Pittman, Higgins, Ridley, one of these guys in ink to the Chiefs in 2024. Number two, before you do this one, I want you to please click that like button, click subscribe here on YouTube. If you are on podcast, please drop those five stars on Spotify. If you're on Apple, go in the comment section, give me five stars and call me an asshole so I know you did it. I appreciate you if you do. Also, remember, you can go on over to patreon.com forward slash executives to get all things from myself and Maddie Kiwum. There's content coming out every single day, including our cornerstone rankings, cornerstone rankings, which is the combination of the 2023, 2024, and 2025 draft classes ranked for fantasy and for the NFL. You can go check that out today. Also, rosterwatch.com to get your waiver wire cheat sheets, your rankings, and all things rosterwatch. Now, dynasty number two is going to be a dynasty thing. CJ Stroud whom I moved up to quarterback six in Dynasty two weeks ago because I saw enough, is now officially quarterback six in Dynasty. He's five years younger than Josh Allen, five years younger than Joe Burrow. I'm about ready to put him over Josh Allen, but he's officially the sixth best quarterback in football. Talked about it about a month ago on here. He is what Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. He is 
what Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be, and CJ Stroud is now quarterback six at least in Dynasty, potentially five ahead of Josh Allen. Hurts, Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow, Allen, Stroud, those are your six quarterbacks. And damn it, five of them are in the AFC. So shout out to Jalen Hurts for being the best quarterback in the NFC by a mile and a half. And then if you really want to get down to it, my next three guys after that are AFC, AFC, AFC as well. CJ Stroud officially, officially a superstar, a dude in this in the NFL. Not that you needed me to tell you that. Number one takeaway this week comes from the tight end position. And it comes from a guy, we knew what this guy was. We knew the possibilities that he brought to the table. We knew the talent that was surrounding around this player. Dalton Kincaid, we knew the route running ability for the 24-year-old tight end out of Utah. He was injured through the draft process. Dalton Kincaid, basically just, whoa. Watching him last night, we had a watch-along on the Executives of Fantasy Football YouTube channel last night. Two and a half hours of me, Matty Kiwum, Iowa Mike from South Harmon jumped on. We watched the game, we talked about it, and it was just... Dalton Kincaid across the middle. Dalton Kincaid on an out route. Dalton Kincaid first down. Dalton Kincaid had 11 targets last night. Over the last three weeks, he's got 26 targets. He's finished as tight end seven, nine, and seven the last three weeks. I was not ready for him to do this quite yet. In the last three weeks, he's averaged. He's tight end five overall on the season. Having a couple bumpy weeks. But once Knox went out, it's official, like he's the dude. I don't know if Knox will be back next year after this. He's tied in 15 on the season. If this trajectory keeps up, he's going to end up being a top five guy on the season. Is Dalton Kincaid at 24 years old? Whoa, Dalton Kincaid jumping himself. We, again, we talked last week about the abilities of this tight end class and what this tight end class meant to the grand scheme of the tight end position in fantasy football. But him, Mayer, Musgrave, Laporta, the ascension of Trey McBride getting opportunities now in Arizona. Kyle Pitts is is, is mon- starting to take steps forward. And Joku's looking more consistent. The tight end grouping, 2024 is going to be sick. And I tell you what, Buffalo Bills... Dalton Kincaid, they might have found their sec. They might have found that second wide receiver. They've been looking for one for what seems like five years. They might have found it in Dalton Kincaid. <laughs> 